Wow, that was great. That was so fun. Hi, everybody. It's so good to be back. And like, good job for coming out in the middle of the huge wind. It was crazy today. Aren't you glad it wasn't January and you were walking around here on campus? <sighs> it's really good to be here. Now I want you all to freeze. Like, literally freeze. Don't move. Now, just turn your head. Don't move your body. Stop. No, you're okay. You can cough. Don't move your body. Just turn your head and look at the person next to you. Don't move your body. And I want you to observe their posture. Observe their posture. Are they slouching? Shoulders rounded? Maybe sitting up straight? I see some sitting up straight. You guys are moving. Okay, you can relax, you can unfreeze. <clears throat> yeah, say some nice things to the people next to you. Don't give them too much of it. Okay, so I, this is what I wonder. When I said observe their posture, did anyone have like a little bolt of fear or even shame go through them? Because how many of you grew up with people saying like, stand up straight, suck in your gut, put your shoulders back, get your elbows off the table, why are you slouching? You're always slouching. If you slouch, people are going to think you're not confident. Anybody relate to any of those statements? Absolutely. And some of you are in the military, I know this is true, and you've actually been taught to stand at attention, right? To stand up straight, so you know what that feels like. But I actually read an article one time about how sitting up super, super straight in a chair is actually bad for your back. And I'm like a world-class sloucher, so that was really good news to me. <laughs> but really, I want you guys to relax. We're not gonna judge you about your posture, but it is gonna kind of be a theme. Posture is gonna be a theme of the night. So BASIC has been going back to the future here for a couple of weeks, and I went back and I listened to all the teachings, and they're excellent. So if you haven't done that, I really encourage you to do that. But Kurt Vanderweel kicked the series off. He did an incredible job, and I think he really made a succinct uh, statement about this BLESS model that we've been looking at. And he really said this. He said, the BLESS model frees Christians to focus on blessing people rather than converting people. Now, I want you to realize something, though. Don't hear us wrong. The very reason that we gather, the very reason that we ever do a small group, that we ever open a Bible, that we ever sing a worship song, is the deepest desire of our heart, is that every single person in this room, every single person on this campus, every single person in the world would take all that they know about who they are, and they would give it to all that they know of who Jesus is. That's our desire. But this model frees us up to bless people instead of trying to convert people. Now, Kurt made this really masterful study, and he said, for this to be true, three things have to happen. For this, these, th these three things need to be true. It needs to be true that setting out or beginning by blessing people has to be more effective than setting out to convert people. It has to be true that blessing has actually been God's plan all along, and it has to be true that God is capable of doing this work on his own without us, but he actually prefers to do it with us. So those things have to be true for us to be free to bless people rather than to focus our efforts on converting people. That's the crux 
of this series. So tonight, we're going to look at the first S in bless, and that is serve. So we're going to ask two questions, and we're going to look at two stories tonight. The big question is, and this isn't, blesser actually isn't a real word, but I couldn't think of a better one. So the big question is this. What is the posture of a servant blesser? What is the posture of a servant blesser? But before we can do that, we actually have to look at something else. We have to look at this idea. There's a posture of human nature, and we all have it, and we all, it's our default posture. This posture of human nature is that when I look up, what I almost always see if I'm in my human nature posture is I just see myself. My posture is that when I look up, I see myself. So what does this look like? This means that whatever I'm looking at, I look at it through a film of myself. And they can be good things like my talents, like my triumphs, like my victories, my passions, my gifts, my strengths. It can be a film of my failures and my um, brokenness and my pain and my past and my story. But my human nature is to look up and to see myself. And this is true of you, and it's true of me. And since some of you might not know me very well, I'm just gonna tell you a few stories about how this is true of me. And I'm gonna start when I was a little kid. So I'm probably like eight or nine years old, sitting in my church, and I'm with my mom and my brother, and our church was really quite beautiful. It had this huge, huge vaulted ceiling, and I would sit there, and I've actually never shared this with anyone before, so I thought it'd be a good idea to share with all of you. But I would sit there, And sometimes I would think, what would happen if all of a sudden I just started glowing? And then I just started to like rise up into the middle of the church. Then everyone would look at me and they would think I was a miracle or something. That was pretty much the kind of little kid I was. And then one time for Christmas, I got a watch and I was sitting in church and I realized that the lights would shine off the watch onto the wall And then I realized that I controlled where the light would go when it bounced off my watch. So I was like bouncing it off the stained glass windows, and I thought, oh, I'm gonna like light the candles up front, so I bounced it off the candles. (laughs) And then I looked, and there was the priest in the middle of the altar, and he was bald. So I was like, just started bouncing that thing right off the top of his head. And you know, the coolest thing about that is nobody knows where it's coming from. And then I like, came to my senses and realized that my mom would absolutely murder me if she knew that that was coming from me. <laughs> so that's just a little window into what kind of kid I was. But you know, this human nature, this, this uh, propensity, this default posture that we have, that whenever we look up, we see ourselves, it followed me into adulthood. And I know that it followed you into adulthood too. So I'm a mom and I'm a wife, and when my kids, maybe one of my kids in particular, doesn't try very hard at school, do you know how I look immediately at that situation? I see myself. Instead of looking at him or her and kind of trying to figure out what's going on, I immediately start thinking, wow, what have I done wrong? Oh, am I a bad mom? What's going, you know, why is he doing this to me? How crazy is that? Or uh, maybe it's some other control thing. This is one that shows my human nature. When something goes wrong and I don't know how to fix it, the very first thing I start to do is I start to think, ah, maybe this is my fault. And then I start looking for people to blame. So our human nature, our default posture, 
is to look up and to see ourselves, and it comes out in all kinds of different ways. So I don't know what it looks like for you, but it's something to start paying attention to. And we could keep talking about this for a long time, but I wanna, I wanna look at what this looked like with Jesus and what it looked like with his friends and his disciples. So the posture of human nature, when I look up, I see myself. Jesus has just told his friends and his disciples for the third time that he is going to suffer and he's going to die. And then his friends immediately turn around and they come to him and they say this. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's their response. I'm gonna suffer, I'm gonna die. They come to him, they're his friends, they're his followers, and they say, hey, Jesus, James and John, we're brothers, we want you to do for us whatever we want. It's just this perfect picture of human nature. We look up, they were looking up at Jesus, they knew Jesus was gonna ascend and he was gonna be in glory, but when they, even when they looked up at Jesus, they saw themselves. There's another man, a story of a man in the Bible. This is the story of Joseph. And Joseph's human nature at the beginning of his story is almost comedy if it wasn't also a complete tragedy. So I'm just going to tell you the story of Joseph for a minute. And Joseph, um, takes, the story takes place, gosh, through a lot of chapters in the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, chapters 30, 40, and 50. So you, sometime you should go back and read it, but it's a really, really long story. So I'm going to borrow a little bit of the story from one of my favorite authors, and that's John Ortberg. So we meet Joseph when he's about 17 years old, and he's tending his father's flock with his brothers, who are the sons of Zilpah and Billah. So if you guys are already starting like a baby name list, those probably should be on it. <laughs> Zilpah and Billah, the mothers of these uh, brothers that he's tending his father's flock with. And this is an incredibly messed up family. And if you think the Bible is full of people who have their act together, if you think the Bible is like all people that are perfect, then you haven't read the Bible. This family, they make the Kardashians just look mild, <laughs> like your next door neighbor. It's crazy. So we learn that Joseph has recently given his father a bad report about his brothers. We learn that Joseph is the son of Jacob's favorite wife. He has four, but Joseph is the son of his favorite wife, and it's no secret to anyone that Joseph is also his favorite son. And this idea that Joseph gave a bad report about his brothers is really painful if you think about it. Uh, most scholars believe that this report probably was more fiction than fact. And when Joseph told his father, his father automatically believed him instead of his other sons. So you just get this sense of mounting pain in this family. And then it gets worse. So Jacob gave Joseph, Jacob's the dad, and he gives Joseph this special robe. And we don't know exactly what the robe looked like, but if Jacob was going to buy this robe today, it would be Armani. It was very, very well made and hand tailored. And the other sons, the other sons were wearing robes off the clearance rack at the dollar store. So this robe just made Joseph stand out like crazy. But what was the most explosive about this coat wasn't that it was super, super expensive, it was what it meant. Joseph was the 11th son of Jacob. And 
Eleventh sons don't get fancy coats. Firstborn sons get fancy coats because the meaning of the coat is that that son is the heir. So Jacob has skipped over 10 of his sons to give Joseph the inheritance. When, uh, when this happened, this situation, you can just imagine what this would feel like in your family. These people were just packed with emotion. All the older boys can clearly see that their father has placed Joseph before them. He loves Joseph more than them. You can feel the emotion. And can you imagine Joseph's posture when he wore that coat? Can you imagine what he was like? And it gets worse. Joseph has a pair of dreams, and nowhere in this scripture does it say that these dreams came from God. And you would think at this point that Joseph would have a little bit of common sense, but he doesn't. He shares these dreams with his brothers, his brothers who already have no love in their heart for this fancy coat-wearing, inheritance-stealing little brother. And Joseph, this is what he does. He has this dream, and instead of like just mentioning it casually, he gathers all of his brothers together, and he says, let me tell you about my dream. It was so cool. So we were out in the field, and I am this giant sheaf of grain, and you guys are all these little sheaves of grain, and I raise up in the air, and then you guys all bow down around me. Isn't that cool? It was my dream. Joseph's brothers hate Joseph. They hate him so much, the Bible says, that they can't even look at him. They cannot say a single kind word about him. And when he tells them his dream, they hate him even more. The Bible says when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. But when Joseph told his brothers about the dream, they hated him even more. So we just begin to see the impact on our families when we operate out of this posture of our human nature. So we're going to make the switch. What does the posture of a servant blesser look like? If the posture of of our human nature is Jesus' friends coming to him after he says, I'm going to suffer and die, and they say, can I sit at your right and your left? And if the posture of human nature is little brothers who are more loved than everybody else rubbing it in the face of their big brothers, what does the posture of a servant blesser look like? So this is the first thing that we learn. Jesus just models this for us. He models the posture of a servant blesser. And he does this for his friends. This is the same story. James and John have just asked him this ridiculous question. And this is what he says. He points to God. So servant blessers look up and they just see God. And Jesus models this over and over again. Look at what he says. He says, you know what? First of all, he says, you guys are crazy. You don't even know what you're asking for. You have no idea what I'm going to go through. And then in Matthew 10, 40, he says, you know what? To sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. So Jesus just does this masterful thing. He just gets out of the way, and he looks up at God, and he points to God, and he points them back to God. So Jesus is God, and he gets out of the way and looks up and points to God. And then Jesus does this next thing that just blows my mind. Because what would you do if you were Jesus? We find out that, that these two uh, disciples have asked this ridiculous question, and then there's 10 more disciples, and they're just super, super angry. The Bible says that they were indignant. 
So I thought, if you were the other 10 disciples, what would you do? What would you text to each other when you found out that James and John had asked this question to Jesus, can I sit at your right and your left? Get that in your mind for a minute. I went off in a huge tangent on this. I actually updated my iPhone so I could get those like moving video, what do you call them? GIFs. GIFs. Yeah, so I found all kinds of good ones, but that was a, that was a, there's a long story behind that one actually. Uh, yeah, but can you imagine what those guys were thinking? They were super, super mad. And then Jesus just does this really cool thing. He says, all right, everybody, let's just get together. Come on in, come on in. He calls all the disciples together, and he says, okay, guys, there's the way of human nature. There's the posture of humanity, and that is that your rulers are going to lord it over you. They're going to lord their authority over you. They're going to make your life miserable. And then he says these amazing words. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, it's almost like Jesus forgot himself for a minute. And he like, was like, wait, even the Son of Man, even me, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we just get this beginning picture of what the posture of a servant blesser is. They're just, their eyes go to God immediately. So the posture of human nature is to look up and see yourselves, and that's powerful, and it does a lot of damage. But Jesus just turns it, and he says, not so with you. If you want anything to change, if you want any healing to take place, if you want any peace to prevail, you need to change your posture. So if servant blessers develop a posture of looking up to God, what did this look like in Joseph's life? Jesus modeled it, and Joseph had to learn it. Uh, we left Joseph's story when his brothers hated him. His dad had this great idea that he should go check up on his brothers again in the field. And while he was still off in the distance, his brothers made this plan to, uh, to actually to kill him. Then they talked each other out of it. And they ended up uh, selling him into slavery to a passing caravan that was headed to Egypt. And then they tell their father that the son that he loved is dead, and they showed him his coat that was all ripped up and covered in blood. So Joseph arrives in Egypt and becomes a slave in the home of a wealthy Egyptian official. So just start getting the picture, wealthy Egyptian official, and we hear these first little notes of hope that happen. We hear that the Lord was with Joseph in his slavery. Just begin to hear a little bit about hope. And everything is going pretty well for Joseph in the home of the wealthy Egyptian official until Mrs. Wealthy Egyptian official looks at Joseph and notices that he's a very handsome, well-built young man, and she invites him to her bed. Scandalous. <laughs> well, Joseph has already undergone this incredible posture change. And we see how he answers this woman. He says, uh, you know, my master has given me everything. He's given me uh, power over everything except for you, and you're his wife. And then he does this amazing thing. Instead of saying, if I did that, I would get, like, I'll be dead and, like, get away from me or anything like that. He just puts his eyes up and he looks at God and he says this, how then 
Could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? We just begin to see this transformation of Joseph because God is with him, where he begins to look up and see God. So in retaliation, the lady lies and says that Joseph assaulted her, and he ends up in prison, and Joseph's posture is just rattled. But again, we get this grace note. Genesis 39, 20 through 21 says, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were held. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. So Joseph has this posture change. He starts to look up and he starts to see God and he starts to learn to let himself go and then it just continues when he's thrown into prison. Now he's no longer just a slave, but he's a prisoner slave. And something very interesting begins to happen. Remember Joseph when he was home with his dad and he was super preoccupied with his little dreams, but he had everything. He had the entire inheritance of his fortune and his father's love. And now Joseph's actual physical life has shrunk into a prison, but it's like his world opens up. Look what happens. This is crazy. Joseph learns a new posture as a slave and a prisoner. In Genesis 46 through 7, we know that there have been two new prisoners have come into the prison. And Joseph comes into the prison one day, and he sees them, and he, said, he saw that they were dejected. He saw that they were sad. And he asked them, why do you look so sad today? This is a kid who a couple months ago, we don't know how long, was taunting his brothers with how much his father loved him. And now he's a prisoner, a slave prisoner, and he's looking around at other prisoners around him. And he's saying, why are you sad today? That's a pretty big posture change. Joseph dreamed of greatness, and now because God is with him and he's changing his posture, he can notice the people around him. And then something really amazing starts to happen. God just starts to exalt Joseph. That's a Bible word, but he just starts to lift Joseph up. And Joseph ends up interpreting some dreams for Pharaoh that give them this uh, picture of what's going to happen to Egypt. They're going to have seven years of plenty. They're going to have really good harvest. And then they're going to have seven years of this incredible, incredible famine that's just going to wipe out all the years of plenty. And Pharaoh says, oh my word, Joseph, you're in charge of everything. You're in charge of my entire kingdom. And Joseph sets a plan in motion that saves all of the people of Egypt from famine, and a bunch of people from surrounding nations as well. So we see Joseph go from this spoiled, rotten brat to this guy that, in the face of some pretty intense, he's in a really nice house, probably with a really attractive woman, and he looks up and he sees God and he says, no, I'm not going to sin against God. Then he gets thrown into prison, and he could just be totally thinking about himself, but he thinks about prisoners around him. And then he saves a nation with a really good plan. But then something even crazier happens. Joseph maybe has the biggest posture hurdle he's ever had to jump. Years and years later, Joseph's brothers show up looking for food. And remember, Joseph's brothers have betrayed him in a way that caused him to lose his family, to lose his freedom, to lose the love of his father. And this, that sense of betrayal was so raw for Joseph. And when his brothers came in, and then when they finally realized that it was Joseph, they were absolutely terrified. They were at paralyzed 
with fear. But look at what Joseph has learned as in his time in captivity, his time as a slave and a servant. He says this to his brothers. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? He just looks up and sees God. He says, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. I know that's true. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And I think this is just a beautiful parallel to the words of Jesus. Remember when Jesus is talking to his friends, he almost forgets himself. But then he says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what happens to us when we start that process? Because it's a process, it's not going to happen overnight. When we look at God and we say, all right, God, I'm just going to give everything that I know about myself to you. What happens to us? We're just free. We're free to bless the people around us. We're free to forgive. We're free to move in this incredible amount of power that God makes available to us. The Bible says that Jesus, through us, is able to do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine in his name. So I want to leave you with this idea. Uh, Dave Dave Ferguson is the one that kind of uh, authored this BLESS model. And these are the words that he says about the first S, the letter serve. He says, keep in mind the posture that you would have as a servant blesser. He says, if you listen with people and you eat with people, they will show you how to love them. And then you'll know how to serve them. That's the promise that Jesus makes to us when we look up at him and we just offer ourselves. He promises us power and mercy and gentleness and forgiveness. So, we're going to freeze for a few minutes and we're going to reflect. But I don't want you to look at the people next to you. I just want you to take an assessment of your posture. And remember that whatever your posture is, whether you're really preoccupied with next week going home to be with the family, whether that's wonderful or a little bit scary, whether you're preoccupied with worry, whether you're preoccupied with your future, no matter what your posture, just offer it up to what you know about Jesus. And if you don't know very much about Jesus and if you don't know that he is trustworthy with your life, We would love to talk to you about that. So just take a few minutes and think about your posture. And I'm going to pray and the band's going to come up and then we'll continue to turn our eyes to Jesus in worship. Let's pray. God, it's really interesting that you tell stories of um, brothers, brothers and sisters, Joseph's brothers and then James and John's brothers, your disciples, and how uh, when your people get together, there's almost always conflict. And God, we know that uh, there's something inside of us that wants to be great. And that's not a bad thing. And we know that there's something inside of us that you put there that that makes us want to be noticed. So God, we, we just ask two things of you. Would you help us to turn to you for our greatness? And would you help us turn to the people around us, to the people who are really close by in our families and our friends and our dorms and our classes? And would you help us turn to our fellow humans around the world 
who need to be noticed and need to understand that they can come to you and get rest and love and peace and joy and a full life. Thanks for being a God that is completely and utterly in control and yet wants to use us as part of your plan. We love you and we trust you and we want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.